This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is February 9th. It's a Wednesday. Right now, we're recording about 12 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time, so markets are Still in flux, but you know it looks like uh, recouping some lost gains uh, from the start of the year uh, again. Um, you know, bonds ten years have been kind of hovering around one point nine two, uh, largely a result of. We'll get more into this, but then there's been a lot of good job news, um, a lot of good earnings growth. Uh, earnings have risen sharply, accelerated by zero point seven percent, good for a twelve month gain of five point seven percent. And, you know, it was providing confirmation that inflation still continues to grow. But, uh, but yeah, um, strong, strong earnings anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're really looking at. I mean, some, some companies that have done well over this past week is BP in particular. Uh, they recorded a profit of $12.8 billion in 2021. Uh, it's its biggest annual profit in eight years. And then... Uh, other oil companies have done well as well, like Chevron, ExxonMobil, and, and Shell. Um, but anything else we should be looking at, Grant? And the oil juggernauts, that's to be expected if we think about really their bottom line being impacted by the price per barrel of oil. So as we think oil prices continue to rise, their profits will continue. One other company to note is Peloton. So yesterday they came out with a major shakeup. Their CEO is going to move on to executive chairman and they brought in uh, a new CEO, Barry McCarthy, who was the finance chief over at Spotify and Netflix. So businesses that have experience with um, subscription business, because that's really where Peloton, even though they sell and create their own bikes, really the, the subscription, the, the, that trail revenue is is how they're going to evaluate the cash flows of Peloton. Uh, looks like there's going to be a huge shakeup there. We saw their stock jump uh, 25%, regaining some of the losses um, as they declined. Really, they're, they're thought of as a, you call a pandemic stock, but more and more people are now getting back to gyms and, and moving on from the Peloton bikes. Looks like they're trying to cut some jobs and s- hopefully have annual savings of $800 million. Um, so Peloton will be one to to look out for. Yeah. Um, one, one we should definitely ETF that has been uh, on a roller coaster is ARK Invest. Um, right now, investors have, you know, they put in, about fifteen point seven billion current assets is eleven point six billion. Um, you know, at, at its peak, the uh, Arc ETF was around one hundred and fifty dollars a share. Now it's today it's hovering around seventy five. So it's it's roughly lost half in uh, in value. Um, you know, Kathy Wood now is kind of pivoting to this as a deep value play. Uh, Zoom was one of those that got clobbered. Uh, when you're looking at some of the stocks within the portfolio that have lost over 50%, uh, one of them I saw is a automated trucking company. Um, so you know now they're selling. It's you know four or five bucks a share. Uh, so yeah, I mean you you do have some deep value companies, but there's no shortage of fundamental analysts that said, look, this should have been probably sitting around 75 a share all along. So and people poured money in after the big gains, but they had already missed 
miss the gains. And, and so it's a classic investor behavior of, of buying high and, and selling low yeah. now. But if you look at their holdings, Tesla, Shopify, Roku, a lot of these are some of the tech companies that we, we see are, are the most volatile in the market, especially in January when we saw some, some of the tech key tech uh, numbers start to drop off. It is interesting if you look at Wood's comments, she says that many of the technology and innovation stocks have a long-term trajectory and some of the stocks that had done very well in 2020 and 2021 have transitioned from, you can call them pandemic or stay-at-home stocks, and now they're, they're, they're competitive. So her example was Zoom, COVID-forced companies and individuals to work from home, everyone started using Zoom, but now that it's ingrained in everyday life, people aren't just going to all of a sudden stop using Zoom for for meetings and other um, other lockdown events. So it, it was interesting. Um, Zoom was her example because it is down seventy five percent from its peak. Yeah, uh, one other thing they're doing too is looks like they might be coming up with a new fund. Uh, recently filed uh, on the third. Uh, it's going to be another disruptive innovation fund, but you know, it's uh, right now it's going to be kind of more of an illiquid uh, investment. It's going to be called the the Arc Venture Fund. So that's going to be something to look out for. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of you know the stand, standard flagship Arc funds. I, I mean, I do think you're seeing a value play. I think people are going to be trickling back into it. Uh, a lot of these companies have tremendous growth potential. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's definitely been one of the more renowned household names that's definitely got clobbered in this January sell-off. And one of the reasons Wood points to also is that with the new technology on Wall Street, a lot of the momentum in these quantitative investment funds and computer algorithms had made the sell-off worse than than anticipated. I think we should mention uh, Amazon. It's a bigger, another big earning. Uh, you know, the previous week they their shares popped about eighteen percent in extended trading. Uh, big numbers. Uh, I mean, you know, they had the revenue came in at one hundred and thirty-seven point four billion versus one hundred and thirty-seven point six billion um, expected. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of AWS r- revenue, um, $17.8 billion versus $17.37 billion uh, expected. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they had strong revenue numbers. Um, you know, they had some, some weaker than expected sales and some disappointing guidance. But, but you know, there's a lot of indication that growth can recover and investors took most of the earnings reports as this you know, solid size for the company. And Amazon said that their revenue climbed 9% in the fourth quarter, which is interesting if we think about supply chains being hit by the Omicron variant that was right in the thick of it. They also reported a gain of $12 billion from their investment in the electronic, just kidding, electric vehicle uh, company Rivian. Um, and then this is really the first time that we saw Amazon disclose their advertising business. Um, so their advertising business has actually grown quite significantly um, over the quarter. So 32% year over year um, to $9.7 billion. Th- This is really interesting because if you think about the other huge technology or, or juggernaut companies in the space, Google and Facebook, 
they recorded earnings of well, Google was six point or uh, sixty one billion, while Facebook was thirty two. So still not even close. But if you see Amazon getting into the advertising space, it could be another point of significant growth for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Facebook <laughs> this previous week. It was one of the seven biggest drops in stock market history. <laughs> They've all occurred in the last two years. Uh, big ones to remember, obviously, are Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, and Amazon. Um, it's Meta. It's Meta. It's Meta, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Meta, then Facebook, had a 19, $119 billion decline in 2018. Um, and, you know, yeah, recently they had a $237.6 billion drop in valuation, uh, which really set the tie for, you know, an all-time record. Yeah, it is interesting to see see meta have this big drop so quickly um i think that their rebranding was a little too early because just be i think the term meta has just made people them even more of a target um there may be one unexpected benefit is that this recent drop uh in meta's lowered their market cap to just below 600 billion which is the threshold for the proposed big tech antitrust regulation in the house right now um, obviously those bills are far from becoming a law but it is it is just one added benefit and, and if we think about facebook's earnings compared to when we just mentioned amazon uh, amazon just has they have subscriptions right so they have prime users they just opt their um up their annual prime membership costs for the first time in a while but meta doesn't have that so if if people aren't advertising on their services that, that that's going to really cripple a lot of their revenue compared to a tesla or an amazon that has these or even a microsoft has these subscriptions where they can count on on monthly income yeah i mean ad space is is their revenue it's a free platform and everyone seems to be dropping off um and the bleeding, you know, hasn't seemed to stop. I mean, Zuckerberg's come under increased scrutiny in, in recent months and years in regards to really what the platform's done in order inciting political violence and um, just general animosity across not only the United States, but people around the world. Well, so, and a loss of $10 billion to a metaverse, which the majority of the population can't wrap their head around, doesn't seem like a good business decision, which is why the market reacted so well and you saw the largest single day drop in, in U.S. history. Uh, last time we were on the pod, we were kind of giving some of the initial January numbers and expectations, and boy, were they wrong. Uh, <laughs> we saw a lot of good news on the job front. Labor force participation rates rose to 62.2%. That was a 0.3 percentage point gain. That's a rate that's looked closely by Fed officials. It's the highest level since March 2020 and really within 1.2 percentage points of where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, labor force amongst women increased amongst that. Which is really important because if you think about them, they were the majority of the uh, labor force for the women. They were the ones who were um, sitting out during the pandemic for child care and, and, and looking after elderly. schools and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you see, in terms of just encompassing levels of unemployment, that counts discouraged workers and those holding part-time jobs. That dropped to 7.1%, um, which is a 0.2% decline. 
yeah, uh, the one one big change also when we're looking at CME's Fed watch gauge is that markets have been anticipating uh, are now anticipating the Fed to hike interest rates at least five times this year. Seems like each week they they raise one more right. rate hike. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they come out with that 50 bip rate hike to come out the gates. But going back to the jobs for January, the biggest employment gains and seems seems that's the constant is the leisure and hospitality, um, which the majority was bars and restaurants, which is nice because people are, are starting to trickle back into bars and restaurants. You know, one of the biggest pieces that we should also talk about is the long term unemployment that fell. So the number of Americans out of work for at least six months declined by a little over 300,000. Um, and that's 1.7 million in January. Um, so that has fallen by quite significant numbers. And, and that's really important, those numbers, because the longer people are unemployed, the long, the harder it is to get back into the workforce. Their skills may have uh, may have gotten rusty. Their connections to other people in the workforce may not be there anymore, um, and then that can cause people to really drain on their savings if if they're unemployed for for longer periods of time. And if we think about the uh, unemployment benefits are, are also beginning to expire, then. Um, so the U.S. economy remains almost three million jobs short of pre-pandemic mark. But um, given that 2021 was was still one of the best years for for job numbers. Yeah, um, very strong numbers have come in. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned inflation and wage gains. Uh, I mean, relative to inflation, uh, wages simply hasn't caught up. And it's a juxtaposition, right? And what we're expecting our Fed to do versus what we expect the European Central Bank to do. Um, they've kept interest rates unchanged. Um, when you see inflation across the European Central Bank, so Eurozone countries, that's been up 5.1% in January. A lot of the countries, uh, the majority are, are slightly under the states. But, you know, as the end of December, you had countries like Spain and Belgium who are sitting at 6.6 as well. And, uh, you know, it's, Estonia is the largest, which it would 12 percent rate of rate of inflation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do find that surprising. Uh, it's the inflation slightly more muted than the United States, but not not really that all that much at this point. And uh, they've got a lot of the same supply issues and. I mean, we weren't unique in the being the only country that took out debt. Uh, you know, the debts ballooned um, across the world, and then you know, a lot of that came in the eurozone as well. Yeah, you see, it, it was I think a little unexpected that they didn't rate hike at all. We saw the Bank of England uh, start to increase their rate. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that the European followed suit. I mean, really, if when you're looking at it, if you're looking at energy prices and the supply chain constraints that those are the two big drivers for the European inflation, not the excessive demand, which is why they're saying they're not really focused on returning uh, monetary policy to the pre-pandemic settings. Um, I I think if we continue to see inflation, their forecasts are saying 3.2% this year and then coming back down to 1.8% in 2023 and 2024. Um, So we're not really seeing what the Fed has done, where the Fed had uh, and some people think this kind of bit them in the ass, but was the um, the language around transitionary inflation? They're, they're they're not hawkish right now, and now the Fed is quite hawkish. So I think we could see the European Central Bank come around to to the Fed levels as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, should kind of last topic point of conversation is we got SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. It's interesting to note uh, we haven't talked about new regs much this previously or year of the new uh, administration, but I think they have something like 50, 50 proposed rule change on deck. Um, you know, dealing with a variety of different issues from climate change to board diversity to human capital management to stock buybacks to insider trading. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been very aggressive. A handful of these regulations are in their final stages uh, and may be adopted soon. Um, so, you know, it's one of the largest regulatory agendas the SEC has seen in, in several years. And a big one around it was the ESG, as you mentioned. So around climate change, board diversity, human capital management. ESG is one of the hottest topics on the street. And ESG, I, I think this is good around the disclosure. It seems like Gessler's main main thing is, is really around disclosure. So ESG for someone in Montana is going to be different for someone in San Francisco, especially the environmental aspect of that. Um, and so th- that's something to watch because a lot of these mutual funds and ETFs that are now claiming ESG focused, their disclosures may have to change. The other big one is crypto. So um, do, do you see the SEC chairman around uh, Bitcoin? And we just saw that there was a, a seizure of a largest seizure ever in Bitcoin by a couple uh, trying to launder it. Uh, so it, crypto, I think, is, is really more and more regulations are going to come around. That seems like uh, he's focusing focusing that as, as, as part of this. And yeah, I mean, I think Chairman Gensler, I, I, I think that he would probably, in an ideal world, like cryptos to be considered a security. Uh, I think that would entail some acts of Congress. But uh, I mean, there, there's, there's stuff I think he can do in the meantime. Um, in terms of regulatory framework, I'm not quite sure. It seems like if it's exchanging money in hands and capital gains, yeah. it seems like the SEC can stick their nose yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one one thing that I'd like to bring up, I think that we, as we're talking about regulations, is the Stock Act. Um, as many of you know, Congress has been getting under increasingly hot water. Um you know, with, with insider trading, especially in light of the pandemic, uh, <laughs> blue, red, it doesn't matter. They all got their piggy little snouts in it over the last year. Pigs got to eat at the trough. Pigs got to eat at the trough. Uh, so right now, two unlikely allies bringing the Stock Act, at least to the Senate, are Steve Daines, who's uh, local, our local senator from Montana, and Elizabeth Warren out of Massachusetts. So quite the dynamic yeah, duo. Quite. Uh, Quite the weird bedfellows, but um, you know, both are ultimately saying that there's obviously been a breach of trust. Uh, I think root canals are more popular than Congress and have been for a number of years. And stuff like this is important just to, I mean, public servants should be public servants, right? I, it, it's just the kind of the thumb in the nose and the, the, these people aren't math doctors and the fact that they've put up some of the gains they have over the last year and a half is is pretty disgusting, but some of it is a little fishy. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, lawmakers and spouses just can't own or trade individual stocks. They can still do ETFs, mutual funds, have people manage their money. So you know, all in all, I, I don't think it's it, it's too much, too 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 big. Um, but we'll see what happens. And if you work for the Federal Reserve, you're you're, you're now under that. So, they changed yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Why? I mean, why? 
Um, all right, and then the, what I'm looking for. Um, so two major things: we did see that the U.S. trade deficit soared 27 percent last year to nearly 86 billion. Really, a couple reasons for that: Americans buying more imported goods, and then we also um, suffered a demand for our services. Um, and then there was also way less foreigners here that were spending on tourism and then also education. Uh, people aren't coming to the States anymore uh, because there was so much restrictions on travel. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly is Americans are really taking on more debt, really not to be surprised. That was the whole point on the Fed making, uh, adding liquidity to the market and cutting the rights is because that's going to stimulate the economy. So we saw purchase home prices and cars go up. A big reason for that is because uh, people were able to take on leverage based on how cheap rates were. Um, so that came out of the New York Fed is really borrowing rose at the fastest pace since the financial crisis in 2007. Uh, so that might be something to keep your eye on if we continue to see uh, American household debt rise. However, people were not too concerned because of uh, the overall wealth uh, of Americans also rose during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. I, I think uh, not next week, but maybe the week after we've got Drawn Capital back on as guests. So be on the lookout for that. Thanks for all the likes and subscribes. Talk to you soon. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.